0: Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Domain Radio, back with Bill Mitchell. He is the host and creator of Your Voice Radio and one of the most influential non-candidates on social media during the last election cycle. He has close to 200,000 or more Twitter followers and millions of impressions daily. You can follow Bill on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash V I I, and Your Voice Radio, of course, you can find at yourvoiceradio.com. Bill, thanks a lot for taking the time today. Great, Stefan. Great to see you. So we're going to have a chat about uh, Syria and Trump and uh, chemical weapons and proportional responses and all other kinds of good and juicy stuff. And sort of first off, when it comes to the lobbing of the Tomahawk missiles into Syria, there are significant international and constitutional legal problems with that. But Given that that may be a one-off affair, I'm not sure that it's worth devoting a huge amount of time to a relatively small military incident that's deep in the rear view relatively quickly. My concern is next steps. What happens from here? And uh, there are contradictory messages coming out of the Trump administration in terms of, well, you know, the Syrian people should be deciding who's in charge, which they actually used to before the civil war. uh, They used to be able to decide. And of course, people forget that uh, Assad was was voted in. And he also had um, uh, during the initial time that there was uh, complaints about his um, uh, administration, his regime. Uh, This is back in the day before the civil war started uh, in the 2000s. He actually did uh, try and meet with uh, dissident groups and opposition groups. And he said, you know, I'm happy to make accommodations, just not if you're pointing a gun at me. Uh, And uh, there was actually uh, a vote wherein uh, a coalition of uh, different parties actually got more seats than his Baathist party. So there were some reforms going on uh, at the time uh, back in the day. And uh, then it escalated, and partly because it's kind of a proxy war. It's a proxy war in many ways between uh, the people who are pro-Assad, right, the people like the Russians uh, and so on, and the people who are pro-rebels, which is the Arab League and to some degree the United States, who got involved very early and turned what could have been something relatively peaceful into much more of an escalating civil war. So my concern is what happens going forward And as far as regime change goes, I think that there are strong cases to be made for the immorality, unwisdom and fundamental impracticality of that as a solution. But I think you're not on the same page as far as that goes. And given that, you know, this is a philosophy show where we want to welcome different opinions, uh, I wondered if you could talk about what you think should or should not be on the table going forward for the Trump administration.
1: Right. First of all, I think what's important that we need to notice here is that as a brand new president of the United States, you only get one chance to make a first impression on the international stage. And when Donald Trump came out and condemned Assad for these gas attacks, if he had done nothing, we wouldn't be talking about all this right now. We would be talking about Donald Trump as a weak leader, Donald Trump as Obama 2.0. You know, when can we count on Donald Trump to take action? But the fact that he not only took action, but took swift and decisive action and did a good job with it. It had the effect that he wanted to do, so he was competent. This sent a message to the entire world that this is a man not to be messed with. Now, going forward, anytime Donald Trump makes a threat on the international stage, it has teeth. If he hadn't done this, where would he draw the line? Let's say there's another gas attack. Does he do nothing then? Let's say North Korea does something provocative. Does he do nothing then? When does he finally stand up and do something? To me, This was brilliant strategically. We had vast agreement from the other uh, leaders of the free world. And People say, oh, well, they're a bunch of globalists and stuff like that. I tell you what, if you want to keep a free world, you got to have them on your team. So we had vast agreement there. Uh, Donald Trump, I don't know if it was synchronicity. I don't think it was planned because, of course, you couldn't plan that in advance. But the fact that the Chinese president was right there with Donald Trump when this took place, And now China is saying, yes, we want to work with you on trade, and uh, we're going to take a neutral position on this. And we started sailing in the direction of North Korea, and China isn't saying we're going to blow you guys out of the water. To me, these are all good things. I think that as a new president of the United States, there is nothing wrong with exerting strength and showing strength going forward. Does the Trump team really want regime change? That's your question. You know, I think that is the absolute last resort, as you ag- agree with me, that is fraught with problems. In the Middle East, regime changes is a problem because the people that are living in these countries tend to be people that have been under oppression for a long time, they're not accustomed to a, a democratic government, and so they don't tend to handle it very well. They tend to, you tend to get a very non-secular uh, government in there. But, so that's, that's the last resort. But, I think Trump's in play here is that he wants safe zones in Syria. He wants to end the refugee crisis. He sees the refugee crisis as an existential threat to the Western world because ISIS is using it to funnel terrorism into the Western world. They would have had no other way to get there except for the refugee crisis. But I think that he's not gonna be able to get those safe zones unless he keeps regime change on the table. If he said, under no circumstances will we do regime change, he weakens his position. If he says, if push comes to shove, we're going for regime change, he's much more likely to get cooperation from Assad and from Putin on the safe zones. And I think safe zones are his real uh, concern here, his real goal here, because that would solve the refugee crisis.
0: Well going back in time, and uh, I do want to talk about the refugee crisis and the safe zones uh, i 've certainly been a fan yeah. of that as a solution for some time yes. you can help twelve to thirteen times more people in the Middle East by creating safe zones and resettling them in the Middle East, although there are safe zones all- called vast swaths of Saudi Arabia that could be used that aren 't being used yeah. but let's go sort of a bit more of a historical look at things because if we just look at the um, the tip of the iceberg we don 't get a sense of its size and weight so Western intervention into the region has been going on literally for hundreds of years Napoleon has yeah had his uh, forays into the Middle East. The French were in charge of the Middle East. They took over at the end of the First World War, and it lasted until the end of Western colonialism around the world in general uh, at the end of the Second World War. And so France was in charge of Syria for decades. And Syria, of course, has a wide variety of ethnicities and races and religions and pretty fundamentalist religions, to put it as nicely as humanly possible, all kind of jammed into the same place. And so after centuries, well, and certainly in the 20th century, many decades of Western control over the region, uh, the moment the West leaves, there does seem to be some peace that gets established in Syria. There is a ruling party, the Alawites, that's put in by the French, which elevated them from a minority status to a majority status. And the the Sunnis and others who didn't have any political power got frustrated and started to, to advocate for change. There was peaceful change going on in Syria, and there's no indication that it ever would have escalated to a full-on civil war if the United States and others hadn't sort of stepped in. So my concern, Bill, is that if we just look at Syria, we can see that the current uh, instability, the current civil war, is being fueled in part, in part. And I don't want to just pick out on America here, because I'm fully aware there are lots of other countries who are funding and and fueling and driving this uh, conflict for their own geopolitical and religious reasons. But since we're talking about U.S. choices here, I'm going to focus on the U.S. But I don't want this to sound like America, uh, you know, picking on and and the only bad actor and so on. But there's no indication that the relatively peaceful reforms that were ongoing in Syria in the 2000s would have escalated to this bloody, brutal, extended six to seven-year civil war if it hadn't been for America, you know, applying sanctions and getting in. Now, initially, of course, the aid that the Americans gave was called non-lethal aid, but it's sort of six of one, half a dozen of the other because you give give the rebels non-lethal aid, then they have more money with which to buy, buy weapons. So to me, if I look at sort of the history of Syria, this is obviously a very brief sprint through what's going on. Massive amounts of Western intervention have produced the current mess. And, you know, the one thing that I think we can learn from history is to try as best as we can not to make the same mistakes again. And we're just talking Syria, looking back in time. We can also dip into places like Iraq uh, and and Libya and Afghanistan and other places where these interventions have been tried. The boots on the ground have been tried, weaponry, foreign aid, food, medicine. Everything has been thrown at the situation. And the result has been, as you know, the creation of a power vacuum. Uh, in uh, Iraq, which has fostered the growth of ISIS, which has then moved into Syria. We have a resurgence of the Taliban uh, in, uh, in Afghanistan that now controls significant amounts of, of, of areas. Yeah. It is a very, very great challenge. And I would actually, historically, arguably completely impossible to go into the Middle East, the reasons we can get into later, and try and affect positive change. The, the, the growth of democracy, of a republic in the West was preceded by thousands of years of Greco-Roman philosophy, of John Locke, of Thomas Paine, of the founding fathers, of the Enlightenment, of the Age of Reason, of the Renaissance, of the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church and the individualism. And, and it's a huge cultural momentum that occurs over hundreds, if not thousands of years. And the idea that you can just go in with a lot of bombs and bullets and reproduce that evolution appears to be one of the great delusions of the modern age. And I I don't think that Trump should commit to something that, A, is completely illegal internationally, the invasion of another country that's not directly threatening you, and B, has never been proven to work throughout history.
1: Yeah, well, here's the thing, is that I think that what Donald Trump wants, the the last couple of days have been talking about a political solution. I think that what they want is they want uh, uh, Russia to come in and reign in Assad and get this thing under control and solve this refugee process. I have talked about Twitter this entire time. The end game in my mind uh, for Trump is to solve the refugee process uh, crisis. The refugee crisis is the channel that has been sending terrorism throughout the world and destabilizing the Western world. We've avoided it somewhat because we've limited how many refugees have come in here, and we try to do a better job vetting them. But this is the great danger. This is the great cancer. If you have a freckle on your face, it's just a cosmetic problem. But if that freckle becomes a melanoma, then it dangers the whole body. And that's where we're at. Will Syria, Syria be a melanoma? Will Syria be a cancer to the world? You know, people have said, you know, Donald Trump promised to make America great again. What's he doing over in Syria? Fixing the refugee crisis is making America great again. It's important. So, Uh, Does that, does invasion work into that? I just, you know, I think that is a highly unlikely outcome. I think that an interesting dynamic took place here. At least in the last eight years, uh, Putin has been able to strut around like the cock of the walk, like a tough guy, beating up on people that were lesser than himself and looking like he was unstoppable. This is the first time in eight years that Putin has been stopped. Now, why do I say Putin has been stopped? because Obama, uh, no, oh, sorry, Trump gave him warning, these missiles were coming and what did Putin do? Nothing, he did nothing. And now they're saying, oh, if if uh, if we if you hit us again, we're coming after you. Well, you did nothing the first time. I guarantee you that weakened Putin on the national stage. That is the first time in the last eight years at least that Putin has had to step down. So what does Putin want? Does he want a conflict with the United States? Does he want World War III with the United States? I don't think so. So what's what's his other option? His option is to rein in Assad and let these safe zones take place. So I think that's a long-term strategy. I think that's a long-term goal. You're right. It's very difficult for Western nations to go in there and create regime change in places like this, because it's just a different culture. One of the reasons why we were able to so successfully turn Japan around after World War II is they are united as a culture. You know, they were able to take, you know, a national pride and unite around that as a culture and remake themselves. The problem in the Middle East is you have so much sectarianism and so much division on a religious basis, and people tend to be a little bit crazy about it. It's extremely difficult. I I agree with you on that. It would be an extremely heavy lift for this to work. But I think that Trump's boldness, his bold leadership on this has uh, uh, had a dramatic effect. Not only that, but he's become really the leader of the free world now. I mean, the rest of the world has stood up and said, yeah, this guy means it. He doesn't mess around. He didn't go before Congress. He didn't uh, you know, uh, wait for six months. He didn't rattle the saber. He's just like, bam, there it is. I think this is a whole different ball game now, and we'll see. But Donald Trump is very strategic. And if you try to analyze what he is doing on a linear basis, you are probably going to get it wrong. And I think that's what a lot of people have done. There's a lot of knee-jerk reactions out there, but I think that people are turning around. I'm reading a lot of articles where folks are turning around and saying, you know what? Overall, on a global basis, this was a good move for Trump, and it's going to work out well for us.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the refugee crisis. So first of all, the yeah. refugee crisis is not the refugee crisis. A significant proportion of the people flooding into Europe are not coming from Syria, are not coming from unstable countries, are not coming from a war zones. They are coming from the Middle Eastern and uh, North African and other Countries um, because they get lots of free stuff in Europe. It is not a migrant crisis that is primarily or even universally driven by the uh, war in Syria. So solving the problem in Syria, while a great thing in theory, is not going to do anything to stem the fundamental drivers of the refugee crisis. Plus, of course, they may not want to go back. Right? I mean, there's there's um, the welfare state in in some countries in Europe gives people from the Middle East or, or North Africa. 10 times the income they could earn at home with backbreaking labor, and they can uh, sit around with free food playing on their free MacBook Airs. Uh, and it's really going to be tough to to undo this problem. So I don't think that the refugee crisis, even if we call it that way, uh, is going to be solved by... Uh, dealing with problems in Syria. And what caused the refugee crisis? Well, three things. Number one, ridiculously generous welfare uh, programs. Number two, a failure to enforce uh, borders. Uh, and number three, uh, Western interventionism and other countries' interventionism in the Middle East, which we know with uh, Iraq, uh, with, uh, with Syria, uh, with uh, Libya, right. uh, with Afghanistan, not in the Middle East, but you understand. And so I fail to see how it is a productive solution to attempt to deal with Europeans' ridiculous addiction to highly beneficial and self-destructive welfare programs an unwillingness to enforce their own borders, to deal with a problem that in part comes from Western interventionism into the Middle East, trying to solve all of those complicated problems with more Western interventionalism and goals for regime change and boots on the ground and funding and arming and supporting various factions in a chaotic internecine warfare system. I don't see how that is the case. And I'll tell you how I look at it, Bill, very directly. I look at it. Can I go up to a young American man, a fresh-faced, apple-cheeked young American man, and say, I'm sorry, you need to go into the Middle East and you need to risk being killed, maimed, tortured, brutalized, delimbed, because, well, because Europe is too generous in its welfare state and won't enforce its borders. So I'm afraid you're the right. one who has to suffer for that.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, those, you know, we're, we don't have, uh, a, a, to my knowledge, a draft in the United States right now. Those who uh, sign up to fight in the military sign up to fight in the military. So, I mean, if they get sent somewhere by our commander in chief, they should expect to do that. Regardless,
0: I think No, but can you make a case for it that they should go? I didn't say anything about the draft. Let, let's say it's just some young American soldier. Can you say, I'm sorry, you need to go and risk life and limb in the Middle East because the Europeans won't enforce their borders? Well, I, you know, I don't know.
1: You know, it's here's the thing is that you say that this is a refugee crisis is from all over the world. Yeah. But before Syria, did we have a big refugee crisis? No, it was a catalyst. And if Syria can be the catalyst for this big refugee crisis that sprung up everywhere, solving the refugee problem in Syria can help to be a catalyst for the rest. Now, the problem that Europe got is got the same problem we've got with illegal immigration. They are what we call um, an attractive hazard. You know, if you have a pool in your backyard and you don't build a fence around, in the neighborhood the kids sneak in and drown in your pool. You can you can get uh, arrested for allowing an attractive hazard. And this is what Europe has become with their welfare programs. This is what the United States has become with illegal immigration with their welfare programs. We have become an attractive hazard. That needs to be solved too. This is not just a one point problem. This is a problem that has many, many different points that all need to be dealt with. But because you can't solve the problem all at once doesn't mean you shouldn't try solving a part of it. And that's what I think Donald Trump is trying to do. He's trying to solve at least the Syria part of it. He's not a king. You know, he's not the lord of the, of the planet. He can't make Europe uh, do these things. But one of the nice things that I've seen is that he seems to, at least, with his move on Syria, be emboldening, emboldening the our allies as far as dealing with the situation with Assad and taking a strong stance with the situation uh, with Assad. I think that this will not end up with an invasion. You know, people are like, oh, are we going to invade tomorrow? You remember when we invaded Iraq, it took like months and months and months of buildup. It was a big deal. I don't think there's going to be an invasion. I don't think there's going to be regime change unless Russia decides—here's the thing. One thing I've said about Trump all along, that a great negotiator wins because they make their opponents believe it is in their best interest to do what the negotiator wants. And I believe that Donald Trump is setting this up so Russia will believe it is in their best interest to rein Assad in, which is what Trump wants. See? it's not You don't win negotiations by defeating people and breaking their necks. You win negotiations by making them feel like they won by agreeing with you. And I think that that is what Donald Trump is trying to do. Always remember that we're not dealing with a typical politician here. We are dealing with a strategist. We're dealing with a strong negotiator. We're dealing with somebody that does not have just one step, but has many steps along the way. And many of those steps are intended to throw you off the, uh, the trail, to, to uh, confuse you. And deceive you. That's the whole point. It's like playing chess. We talk about chess all the time. You know, when I make a move and my purpose in that move is five moves later, to take your queen, I'm not going to say, by the way, I'm moving here to take your queen in five moves. Okay. It's intended to deceive you, it's intended to make you make bad moves. And I think that that's what uh, Trump is doing here. So you and I are in agreement. Invasion is a bad idea, regime change, bad idea idea of last consequence. But I also say that taking invasion, invasion and regime change off the table as a possibility is also a bad idea. If you want the lamppost, ask for the moon. Regime change, invasion is the moon. I think Donald Trump wants a lamppost, which is solving the refugee crisis in Syria. He can't deal with the re- welfare state in Europe, but he can deal with the refugee crisis in Syria, and I think that's what he's trying to do.
0: I think that uh, as far as the refugee crisis goes, um Funding less military protection of Europe will help a lot because one of the reasons europe is able to afford its ridiculous welfare state is because it's offloaded a lot of protection from uh from their own countries uh, and they've gotten lazy they've been under the umbrella of western protection uh, of american protection since the end of the second world war and they've gotten lazy and they've forgotten that the world is a dangerous place full of horrible dangerous ideologies full of desires to invade and conquer other lands and other ideologies and other countries they've gotten lazy fat soft complacent and they've just thought that they can solve all of the world's problems with big hugs and lots of money that has a lot to do with American interventionism. American interventionism also includes providing the um, umbrella of American military protection to Europe. And if the idea from Europe is, is transmitted to America, right, you, you, America says, well, we're going to solve this problem by political solutions or, or maybe there'll be some sanctions or some economic pressure or maybe there'll be a ground invasion or maybe there'll be more bombing. Don't worry. We'll go to Syria. We'll solve this problem. And again, you pointed out Syria is the source of the refugee crisis. No, this started with Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, Iraq created ISIS. ISIS created uh, attacks upon civilians. Civilians fled. Uh, Libya, of course, was created. And remember, the, the, uh, the Russians listened and, and were fine with uh, the UN resolution to, to uh, do boots on the ground to, save, to solve problems in Libya. Oh, it's not going to be regime change. It's not going to be regime change. And the Russians were like, oh, OK, fine. We'll let you go ahead and do it boom, straight to regime change, straight to a failed state, straight to floods of migrants uh, going into um, uh, to Europe. So the fact that Russia is a little skeptical about what the world plans to do in Syria well after they saw what happened in Libya, which Russia has to deal with a lot more than anyone else because Russia has the largest uh, contact of any country outside of Israel with the Islamic world. So they have all of those challenges. But if America keeps rushing in to solve all of these problems— If America keeps saying, don't worry, we'll flex our geopolitical strategy and our military might and this and that and the other, Well, what Europe's going to do is say, "Okay, great. Well, we don't need to reform the welfare state. We don't need to enforce our borders. Don't worry. Uncle Sam's got it. Now, if America stops doing that, then the Europeans and the people in the Middle East and the people in North Africa who actually are surrounding the problem, they'll have to get off their damn couches, dust off their boots, go out and start solving these problems. Maybe America can facilitate. Maybe America can negotiate on behalf of others. But I really dislike the idea that America just says, don't worry, we got this. Everybody can just relax. That's not how these problems are going to be solved, because this is what America has said. For the last seventy years, and we've ended up with an ideology that's threatening to overrun uh, the civilized world.
1: Yeah, well, you know, this is this is what Trump has said about NATO. You know, and, and during the campaign, they're like, "Oh, Trump wants to get out of NATO." No, he just wants NATO to carry their fair share. You know, I mean, Germany, they're supposed to pay 2% of their GDP towards defense. And what does Germany pay, like 1.2%? Oh, and the the,
0: the guy, the German defense minister says, it's impossible for us to pay any more. It's like, well, we have all the money in the world for migrants, but it's impossible and completely impossible.
1: It's not impossible. It's just that's what you say when you want America to pick up your bills. Right, right. Right. Yeah, but desperate people do desperate things. And when Donald Trump goes to these nations and say, oh, that's fine. It's impossible. That's fine. We're just going to close all our army bases and go home. See ya. You know, and then he starts closing them right away. I'm just speaking hypothetically, you know, all of a sudden they're like, you know, they they have, you know, they have their come to Jesus moment. It's like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, you know? And this is the thing. This is the thing I tell you that from this whole Syrian exercise that has been the best thing for Donald Trump is the speed and the determination and the um, execution with which he, which he did this. You know, part of the reason why these things we did in Libya and Iraq, And stuff failed, was not just the idea of doing them that failed, but the execution was horrible, horrible, beyond horrible. Because we kind of like we, you know, I think when we went to Iraq, we said the war whole war would cost us like a billion dollars or something like that, or some ridiculous amount. I can't remember. You know, they weren't realistic. They didn't go in. It was like it was like Vietnam all over again. They didn't go in to win and they didn't go in with an end game. I think that whatever Donald Trump does on these things. He's going to have an end game in mind. I guarantee you on that missile strike, the end game wasn't blowing up some planes on a runway. He's got a different end game in mind. Okay. It's, he's got the picture, all the pieces are laid out in front of us. And sometimes it's confusing for regular folks, because if I, if I took a puzzle and threw it on the table in front of you, okay. And I said, what's this a picture of? You wouldn't know, you know, you see colors, blue, green, what? you know, you don't know. It's only, well, the puzzle comes together. Does it make sense? And Donald Trump is a guy in his mind, that for, as a strategic, strategic thinker knows what that picture looks like. He's holding the box top on his hand. He knows what it looks like. He knows how the puzzle pieces fit together. And he likes the fact that everybody's confused by what he's doing. I guarantee you, if you're a supporter of Trump and you're confused by this, I guarantee you his enemies are twice as confused as you are. And that's good from a standpoint I think.
0: You know, Bill, if, if analogies were arguments, I'd concede already. But uh, tragically, uh, they're <laughs> they're not. Right. So There are, of course, you know, let's say Assad is some crazy, crazy bad guy or whatever, right? Well, I mean, he has been fighting a civil war uh, armed by uh, a lot of overseas uh, elements for six years. And uh, it has been a crazy time in the region. But um, would you not say that a significant proportion, if not perhaps even the slight majority of world leaders are bad guys in relative to sort of Western uh, style governments relative to a limited government republic, that they're bad guys as a whole?
1: Well, there are, there are good guys and bad guys out there. You know, let me let me throw in something real quick. This has been a, a question that was asked throughout this whole thing. Was this really Assad that did this? You know, why would Assad do this? Assad was winning. Why would he do this? I think that Assad did this, and the Pentagon, all their intelligence said, yeah, we got the tracks of the airplanes. We see the craters where it landed. It was in the middle of the street. It wasn't in some building where weapons were stored. Okay. If you're going to believe our intelligence, that's what they said. Okay, I think that Assad did this because we came out and said, okay, you know, Tillerson came out and said, no, we're not going to seek any regime change in in uh, um, you know in Syria. Assad can stay, and then he goes out and does this sort of thing. Why? Because this area was a very heavy heavy rebel area that he was having a difficult time with, and nothing terrorizes like uh, um, chemical weapons. It was in. It was a terror move. Okay, so On let's the, let's accept that. Look, I-
0: that's why he. Yeah, let's, let's... Sorry, I want to pause that because, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to accept that as an argument with the caveat that I'm a very much innocent until proven guilty kind of guy. And, and particularly when it comes to something like war. I really, really want to see lots of proof. I want to see independent investigations. Do I trust the American intelligence agencies implicitly and 100%? No. And neither do you because these are the same intelligence agencies what they said you were a Russian bot or something like that and and, and when in fact you're like a slightly aging Max Headroom. But they also are the... Intelligence Intelligence agencies that said Russia was, co- was colluding with Trump and they hacked the election and so on. These are the same intelligence agencies yeah. that said that it was a slam dunk. There were weapons of mass destruction. The same intelligence agencies that did not predict the fall of the Soviet Union or the rise of al-Qaeda or 9-11. I mean, these are not agencies with a significantly great track record. The military-industrial complex as a whole. I mean, the Pentagon right now is uh, saying, well, sorry, we can't five, six and a half trillion dollars. Trillion, not billion, trillion dollars, the third of the entire national debt. They can't find it. Uh, And, uh, you know, Tillman, uh, they said he was killed by enemy fire. He was killed by friendly fire. Private Jessica Lynch, the whole rescue story was was cooked up. Uh, They vastly underestimated or underreported the number of civilian deaths from drone strikes and so on. Look, I'm not saying they're all liars, some very honorable people in the military. I'm with you as far as that goes. But it's innocent till proven guilty. And that standard should be the very highest when it comes to war, which is why, of course, the Constitution reserves the right of Congress to declare war. Congress, because you need a debate. You need it to be back and forth. You say it's a great thing that he defied the Constitution and defied the standards of international law, broke them in order to launch this strike. I do not think Insan- it's a bad thing. Let's say that uh, uh, Assad is a really terrible guy and it was a, a, a war crime to, to, okay, well, it's a war crime to invade countries. It's a war crime to, declare, to, to engage in acts of war without that. But but anyway, let's put that aside and let's say
1: that. Uh, oh, I just saw this yeah, in here. I did ahead. not say okay that he defied the Constitution. I didn't say that he uh, that he uh, is okay that he committed war crimes. This attack on Syria was neither of those things. If it was, he'd be up on impeachment hearings right now. He's not. You know, he's getting praised generally in Congress for this. So I, I just you know I disagree with you on that that point that he that what he did in Syria was some sort of you know defying the constitution. Constitution. I believe as the commander in chief, he had a perfect right to do what he did. But it is an act of war, right?
0: I guess. What do you mean, you you guess? Let me let me ask you this one, Bill. If let's say um, let's say that some um, Soviet sub was off the coast of San Francisco and dropped fifty nine Tomahawks into San Francisco,
1: would you consider that an act of war? Yeah, because we'd declare war on them. We'd fight back. You know, did Russia fight? Did Russia fight back on this? Russia could. You know, Russia could have attacked our destroyers. Immediately, Russia could have shot down most of these uh, most of these Tomahawk missiles. They did nothing. You know, this was an attack. This was was it an act of war. I guess you could call it an act of war. But it is within Donald Trump, in my opinion, right to do what he did. And I think strategically, it was an absolutely brilliant move. And I think that this did more to head off war in the Middle East than doing nothing ever could have. And to make uh, North Korea and China take pause because now Trump is unpredictable to these guys. Now Trump is a guy who actually said he'd do something and within 24 hours he did it. And he did it big time and it succeeded. You know, this is something they are not used to dealing with as a, an American president. So from a strategic standpoint, this to me was a brilliant, brilliant move and I stand behind it 100%. I know. And I'll put, I'll put will the sources do, below.
0: Think- I'll put the sources to this below, but the legal opinions that I've read or the opinions that I've read, if the United States has not been attacked or threatened, congressional approval should be sought. Not merely for legal purposes, but also to ensure that complexities have been thought through and public support for a risky intervention has been won. As explained by Harvard's Jack Goldsmith, a former Bush Defense and Justice Department official, in the absence of a cause rooted in self-defense or a Security Council resolution, there is no international law justification for military attacks against another country, even one whose regime uses poisonous gases against its own people So I we, you and I are not lawyers so I'm just going to put that out there but there's certainly a right. case to be made that uh, it was a violation of domestic and international law. I don't think that's particularly what people uh, what people want but let's talk about let's talk about t rex right let's talk about Secretary of State right. right So he said that the future of I mean we're paraphrasing here but the future of the Syrian government should be decided by the Syrian people right? And, right. and do you feel that that had something to do with why Assad may have used these chemical weapons? Or let's just say he did for the sake of argument.
1: Oh, why? he Now, no, are do you, do you that think that Tillerson's uh, statement well,
0: uh, about uh, letting like about not uh, when he took regime change off the table? Do you think that that yes. had something to do with why Assad used these chemical weapons? Yes, I do. So that was a mistake on the part of the Trump administration, because I they know. said this. And then what happened was 70 people. Uh, died.
1: Yeah, it wasn't a mistake. It was, he wanted to see, he wanted to see how it would react. He's wanted to see what he'd do, you know? And he's like, okay, we're going to give this guy a chance. And he reacted very badly. So it wasn't a mistake on Donald Trump's part. It served the purpose of exposing this guy for what he was. Yeah, I don't, I have no problem with the fact at all. You know, give the guy a try. Here, Donald Trump approached, a, uh, approaches this sort of thing, the way he approaches buying a building, okay? When Donald Trump would buy an old building, what's the first thing he'd do? He'd see if he could renovate it. He'd bring in his engineers, he'd bring in his architects, he'd bring in all of his construction guys, like, can you renovate this building and make it up to Trump standards? If the answer was yes, they would renovate it. If the answer was no, they'd tear it down and build a new building. I think that that move by Tillerson was an attempt to renovate Assad. Can we renovate this guy? Can we make this guy a peaceful world player? Can we solve this, uh, this um you know, uh, refugee crisis with him still in power. Can we do this? And they put that out there and he sent the message, no, you can't, no, you can't. It's gonna take something stronger. And I think that this entire attack on, on uh, the air base was one of the purposes was to get Russia to see it as in their best interest to reel this guy in on the world stage. So we'll see if I'm right or wrong. Time, you know, I've been right a lot in this election. Time has proven me right a lot. We'll see if I'm right or wrong on this, but I'm fully committed to this idea.
0: So they um, they they put this out as a, an attempt to see how Assad would react and then they perceived that he reacted with this uh, chemical attack and therefore they reacted with another violation of international law which was an act of aggression against a country which had not threatened the United States. And this brings me to the larger question, Bill. Why is it America's job? And this is a very big question because, of course, a lot of Trump supporters, and you know them as well, if not better than, than I do, but a lot of Trump supporters were very, very taken in and very, very strongly responded positively to this argument. You know, we're no longer going to follow the false song of globalism. It is time to make America great. I have become I uh, am aiming to become the president of America, not the president of the world. Why is it America's job to solve a regional problem? thousands of miles away why is it america's job (laughs) is the argument that if america doesn't do it nobody else ever will if america is not in there stepping up and solving these problems which arguably has made them considerably worse over the decades but why is it america's job you know it's sort of if if you're going to use analogies i guess i'll throw one in of my own which is this um if if i see some person out out in the lake and they're drowning And, you know, some Johnny Weissmuller, only Bill and I get that reference, but some Johnny Weissmuller ripped guy in a Tarzan suit says, I'm a champion Olympic swimmer and lifeguard. I'm going out to save this person. Well, I'm not going to jump in the water because, hey it's taken care of. So if the argument is only America forever and ever, amen, can deal with these problems, then America will never, ever stop being the world's policeman. It's completely impossible. It will never happen. In which case, saying we're going to make America great again when you're going to be the world's policeman forever and ever, amen, was a false promise. If, on the other hand, America doesn't rush in to try and solve these problems, then other countries will step up to try and solve these problems. In which case, then pursuing some sort of solution in Syria is actually elbowing other people aside who have a much uh, greater direct interest in the region because they're closer uh, and who have probably better abilities to be able to solve it because, you know, they're closer, similar languages, sometimes similar histories, cultures, religions and so on. Do you think that if America doesn't rush in and try and solve these international problems all the time that other countries will never do it?
1: Yeah, here's here's what I think. I think the entire premise that you just stated, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with the premise you stated, that this is a regional problem. What is America over here doing with Syria, this regional problem over here? The refugee crisis made this an American problem. This made the the refugee crisis is an existential existential threat to America. One of the things that uh, Donald Trump has been doing with these executive orders is trying to limit uh, refugees coming in from these countries where they could be a threat to us. Okay, Donald Trump... Is got that in mind, solving this refugee uh, crisis, and that is making America great again. Here's the question Is America being the leader of the free world? Is America leading from the front and being respected? In the world? Is that making America great again? You know, if you're the only ones that think you're great, you're not great. Okay? Donald Trump wants the whole world to think uh, we're great. And I trust you, I trust me, after this strike, we are stronger on the international basis than we were before. We've got more leverage on the international basis. Than but we got for before. what?
0: Leverage for what, Bill? What does America, what do the American voters who voted for Donald Trump want Donald Trump to do uh, when the infrastructure is crumbling, when the finances are a complete wreck, when the military uh, is, a, what is it that you want America to be able to do on the world stage that you need
1: all of this violent leverage for? Right. We are the we want to be the leaders of the free world. We want to be Why? the exception. Why? The Why? Why do
0: you want to be leaders of the free world? There's so many problems to solve in America and that's what Donald Trump was voted in for to solve the problems in America, not to solve the problems overseas. Why do you want to be the leader of the free world?
1: The world is a dangerous place. We are we are the United States is a bag of water and the world is full of sharp pointy things, okay? They if we do not take the world serious Realizing the world's a dangerous place and that we need to protect ourselves in that world is not globalism, okay? That is Americanism, okay? That is nationalism, protecting ourselves in the world. The the surest way, here's the thing. It's one thing to say, we don't want war. But if all your enemies say we want war and we're saying we don't want war, that's a great way. Who's threatening America, you don't think you don't think that the Middle East, you don't think that any of this stuff is going on, is a threat to America? I, I disagree with you. I just disagree with you. I think that all, that America will be stronger and safer once this refugee crisis is no, solved. Who, who is threatening? Syria okay, cat- listen.
0: <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Okay. <laughs> So there's two ways, of course, in which Americans can be threatened by the problems in the Middle East. Number one is people from the Middle East coming over and blowing things up in America. we have be frank about that. And we agree with that because that's happening. That's happening all throughout Europe. That's happening uh, in America from time to time as well, The, the, the mass murders and so on. So that for sure is one way in which America can be harmed. Now, I'm sure you're fully aware of this, that the, um, uh, you know, I mean, (laughs) back to American interventionism, as you know, Al-Qaeda and and bin Laden came out of the um, Americans arming uh, and supplying uh, money and weaponry uh, to the Mujahideen uh, in in Afghanistan to fight against the Soviet invasion. uh, And... um, Uh, That, of course, grew into al-Qaeda and 9-11 and so on. So you you just don't know. You don't know where it's all going to happen. I mean, do you know, of course, I'm sure you do, that uh, bombs that have been dropped by Saudi-led forces in Yemen have been found to have been sold from America. So American bombs being used to bomb civilians, they just bombed a place, uh, 25 kids dead, 97 in total, from America. America selling arms all over the world. It's sort of weird to me that the American government sells, is one of the, the biggest arms dealers in the world, and then says, well, you know, the world is a very dangerous place. Well, maybe if you stop selling weaponry to everyone, it would be a slightly less dangerous place. That could be uh, something that that could potentially be pursued. So the first problem is people coming into America to do harm. Now, that can be dealt with through immigration restrictions and controls, without a doubt. And of course, America virtually shut down immigration from the 20s uh, until post-Second World War period and had significant uh, growth for certain periods of that. So that can be dealt with domestically. The second and far more important danger to America has been laid out very clearly. By the uh, radicals uh, in the Middle East and other places, which is they say, "Well, what we want to do, you see is we want to provoke America into bringing their troops into the Middle East, so we can harm them here we can't go we can't end up in Fort Bragg." You know, we, we can't get to Langley, we can't get to, to the American bases in America, but we sure as hell can taunt America and provoke America until America brings its troops here, in which case we can IED the hell out of them. Or, as you know, happened in the Gulf War, a quarter million Americans can come home with very serious and in some cases permanent and debilitating medical ailments for unknown causes, maybe related to vaccinations against uh, biochemical weaponry or something like that. And so that is by far, they say, listen, we, we're we going to bankrupt America, because we're going to draw America into a succession of interventions into the Middle East, whether they're direct boots on the ground or indirect or whatever it's going to be. We're going to keep taking down the elephant with the endless mosquitoes of foreign intervention. And that, to me, is very much under the control. America is not going to solve the problem of refugees getting into America with ISIS-embedded fighters or other radical-embedded fighters. By trying to go and blow things up in the Middle East, that's just that's that's how you got it in the first place and arming and and um, uh, training people in the Middle East to become fighters against superpowers. Well, they just turned it from Russia towards America. So saying, well, you know, we've got this problem of people who want to do harm to America. Well, you can solve that with immigration reform and you can solve that by not putting American troops in harm's way, which is exactly where the radicals
1: want them. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Let's go back in history for a minute. Did did Germany ever attack the the mainland United States? Did that uh-huh. happen? Okay, are you glad that we fought Germany in World War II? That is a
0: complicated question. Uh and, and let's go. If you if you wait. want to go back in time, hold hold your thought there. Let me let me go back in time even further. Uh, the question is, why was there a World War II? And most historians, and I'm not a professional historian, but I've done my reading, and historians in yep. general say that uh, World War II was a result of uh, a domino that fell sequentially from World War One. Now, yep. why was World War One uh, provoking World War II? Well, one of the reasons, of course, was that the Allies in World War One were able to impose a truly devastating and humiliating peace on Germany. Why were they able to do that? Because America, against what uh, was what President Wilson said he was going to do, entered the um the war, what was it, April sixth? It was just a couple of days ago, the hundred year anniversary, April sixth, nineteen seventeen, I think it was. And with the overwhelming support of the American military, the Allies were able to impose a crushing peace on um Uh, on Germany, which led to the humiliations, which led to, I mean, the reparations. One of the reasons why the German economy got destroyed, the middle class got destroyed in the 1920s, was that the the German government had to print massive amounts of money to pay for these insane reparations that they still would have been paying up until the 1980s. Uh, And this provoked a collapse of the economy, provoked the rise of Hitler, and so on. So American interventionism into uh, another continent's uh, uh, military affairs arguably led to the Second World War. So, I'm sort of always wanting to go back to the beginning and say, okay, well, how did all of this get started? Not to mention, of course, the fact that American interventionism in World War One uh, led directly to uh, the... Um Uh, The uh, creation in 1917 of the communist dictatorship, which then spread around the world, causing 150 million deaths, because, uh, as I mentioned on the show before, uh, Germany said, well, we can't fight a two front war. We got to take Russia out right away. So let's arm and fund the rebels called uh, Lenin and company uh, through Finland into Russia so they can kill the Romanovs and establish a communist dictatorship, which they did do and took. Russia out of the war. So interventionism is setting an unholy series of events in motion. Nobody knows where it ends up. It seems easy to go up front. Well, we got this great military. We can go in and do X, Y, and Z. But what the events that get set in motion uh, can be very difficult. Now, that having been said, I mean, that's sort of a precursor. I'm very happy to return to the Second World War example that you were making.
1: Yeah, here's the thing. If we had not taken the leadership Okay, now we we stayed out of World War II. A lot of people, nobody wanted to get in it. And then Pearl Harbor brought the fought the fight home to us. But but Japan attacked us in Pearl Harbor. Germany didn't. But if we had not taken the leadership and gone to Europe and attacked Germany, all of Europe right now would either be Nazi or they'll be communist because the Russians came in. So one of the two. So if we had not taken that leadership role, and a lot of people were against it. Trust me, more people were against that than against the Syria attack back then. Okay. So if we had not done that then the unintended consequences would have been far far worse. So this is my position on Trump. Because you don't know everything the future is going to bring, okay? It is never a bad idea to show strength. Okay? And you only get one chance to show strength of the new as the new president of the United States, one first impression and he made an outstanding impression with this decisiveness, the quickness of his action, the success of what he did. Also When you look at all these things, these failed things that happen throughout the world, you know most businesses fail. Why? Because they were a bad idea? No, because their execution was poor. And a lot of these things that have failed throughout the world didn't necessarily fail because they were a bad idea, but because the execution was so poor. And this is one of the things, one of the messages that I think Donald Trump sent to the world with the Syria attack was that if Donald Trump acts, the execution will be outstanding. And you need to watch out for that. All right. So, so think, think the, the, this is uh, presented Trump with a tremendous lever going forward. If he makes any threats in the world now, they'll have teeth, unlike Obama, that nobody took him seriously. Which, again, begs the question, why, when
0: America is so cripplingly in debt and has decaying infrastructure and terrible schools? And like, why why is America want to have military teeth around the world? That's number one. But uh, out, the, the, look, I, I'm with you in that Trump is an, a ridiculously competent man. Uh, and things are going to be possible for Trump that would seem impossible before, although right. he's had significant challenges in the domestic arena. Trump has achieved a lot of great things, and uh, I want to link to a list below off Reddit that uh, Trump has achieved yeah. some really, really great things. But a ah, lot I of the stuff it. that really. people wanted him to achieve domestically is, is, you know, repeal of Obamacare, control of immigration, tax reform, and so on. It's all stalling. So the idea that Trump can affect magical change in Syria when he's having a great deal of difficulty in his own country where he's actually the president and has uh, majorities in, in Congress and other places, uh, I don't know. It's, it's asking a lot. That's but true. there are some basic that's realities true. that Trump cannot you know, change. So Trump cannot change some basic realities. And I'll just give you a couple of them, and then you can tell me if I'm I'm astray. So the destruction of Germany and Japan and their resurrection from formerly ridiculously martial and despotic societies uh, into relatively peaceful Western-style democracies is a significant win. Now, t- two things. Number one— the countries were completely destroyed let's let's not rem- let's not forget right. that i mean barely barely two bricks were left standing in either country i mean we all remember of course uh, hiroshima and nagasaki but there were dozens yep. and dozens of japanese cities that were you know made of wood and completely firebombed there was the firebombings right. in dresden and uh, the, if you're willing to almost completely destroy the country that's one thing and that's a pretty tough thing for a lot of people to see in america now that's number one number two the average iqs in germany are north of 100 the average iqs in Japan are 103, 105, 106. They are very, very smart countries. And for a variety of reasons we don't have to get into here, the last time that there were significant, pretty credible estimates on the average IQ in Syria, they came up with 83. 83 is a catastrophically low IQ, and it's really, really hard to have any kind of functional democracy with a population that has an average IQ below Uh, 90. Now, 83 is a couple of decades ago it's gotten even worse since then because the smartest people have left, uh, have gotten out of Syria. And, and I'm not just talking about the migrant crisis. I mean, anybody who had any kind of uh, intelligence and, and, and professional degree and capacity to get out would have gotten out uh, many, many years ago, if not decades ago. So in my guess would be that the average IQ in Syria is tragically and, you know, the, can't, can't change this, can't wish it away. It's a basic fact uh, of life um, compared to, you know, one hundred and five. We may be talking about 25 IQ points low. We may be talking about an IQ of 80 or even uh, below. And so, you you simply cannot build uh, a modern Jeffersonian democracy. You know, the founding fathers they got out decades ago. Uh, the founding father equivalent in Syria they're gone. And this is partly the fault of the West. You know, we want to go out and cherry pick all the third world smart people so we get instant taxpayers in the West. You know, we don't have to trouble about. Educating them and, and uh, giving them health care when they're young. They can scoop them up. But what that means is that the third world generally gets progressively worse and worse because the smartest people uh, are out. Now, this basic reality that you have some very toxic ideologies, that's not going to change. if And I know you say regime change is a bad idea, but still mysteriously think that it should be on the table. But if there is regime change, what's going to happen? Well, you're either going to get some you know crazy radicals in charge who are going to impose Sharia law, and that's the basic difference between the two groups who are opposing Assad. Uh, one of them is more of a nationalistic Sharia law implementer, and the other ones want the caliphate, which is the international. So you've got the difference between national socialists and communists when it comes to the implementation of these pretty bad ideas. So who are you going to replace things with? You can't have a spontaneous Jeffersonian democracy when you have a population that has an IQ at that level. I mean, I wish it were different. I wish there was a way that we wish you could put something in the air water that would change it. But Trump being in charge, he can do wonderful and miraculous things, but he can't change basic reality. And so the idea that we're going to go and solve this problem at the source when you're dealing with this kind of population, it explains everything that happened in Iraq. It explains everything that happened in Libya. And Syria is arguably in an even worse situation.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, Donald Trump's end game is uh, going to be regime change or invasion. I think his end game is trying to solve the refugee crisis. But Look at what happened with uh, China. Okay, what did we do with China? We threatened all these uh, ter- all these uh, trade wars, tariffs, and all this stuff, and everybody saying, "Oh, Trump will bankrupt us with these. They'll just raise the prices. That's trade war, it's awful." And what happened? China came to America. The president met with Donald Trump. Then he went back and he said, "You know what? We're going to work out some trade things. We're going to make this. We're going to make this work." Okay. So, what has Donald Trump done? He's created a better trade situation by threatening the trade war, but never doing it. Never has to take place. Donald Trump, by threatening the invasion, by threatening the regime change, gives him leverage to get what he really wants, okay? You always ask for more. When I was a headhunter for 30 years, if I had a client that said, I'll pay, you 100, pay your candidate 150000 I would always say, I think he needs 165 to do this deal. You know, I don't think he's going to, and I'd say that through the whole process, okay? Because you always ask for more than you want. That is how negotiation works. I tell you, a lot of people that have been arguing about this are so linear. I wonder if when they go into the car dealership, they just pay sticker. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't negotiate that way. And Donald Trump is the most patient negotiator that I've ever seen. Also, you refer to the fact that uh, the Obamacare thing is stalled, the tax stall. No, those are in process. Everything that is happening is happening according to plan. That's a whole different. Subject for a whole different uh, moment. But the whole Ryan care thing, if Donald Trump was really behind Ryan care, it wouldn't be called Ryan care. It'd be called Trump care because Trump puts his name on everything he believes in. He never did. He never believed in it. He was using that to marginalize Ryan, marginalize the establishment part of the process. Oh, no, 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 please
0: understand. understand. I'm not saying he's not going to be able to get his domestic agenda through. I'm just saying it's difficult and time consuming. And my particular concern, you know, I mean, I have not abandoned Trump. I have not turned on Trump. Uh, I want to put forward criticisms, in particular because I'm desperate for Trump to be able to achieve some of his domestic agenda. And I think being dragged into overseas wars or or even overseas interventions or sanctions or any kind of these interventions, I think is going to really interfere with what really needs to happen to make america great which is the achievement so i'm not you know i i know you've got this like fake base and they turn on him no 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 for me this is like i am desperate for trump to be able to achieve his domestic agenda now they're being dragged into this is from the um the new york times um so first of all intimidating china intimidating other countries for me you know if you need to impress or intimidate people you're automatically in the uh in the subjugating position you're in the weaker position i think you should not bring that to negotiating tables but a lot of Chinese are actually thrilled by this attack and by the possibility or the mixed signals that are going out regarding regime change because uh, and this is what they say um uh, many Chinese this is from the New York Times many Chinese are thrilled by the attack because it will result in America becoming mired in the Middle East if and this is a quote if the United States gets trapped in Syria how can Trump make America great again as a result China will be able to achieve its peaceful rise now I don't necessarily believe that's going to be particular peaceful rise. But if Trump gets um, mired up in, in some sort of conflict in and I don't know what it's gonna look like. If it's regime change, it's a complete disaster and, and he will never ever be able to achieve his domestic goals, in my opinion. You can't you can't start a huge, viciously expensive war, and we know that the long term costs of the Iraq war and Afghanistan war are well north of five or six trillion dollars. And so if he gets involved in another war, you can't have any kind of reasonable tax cuts. You can't I mean it's just not going to happen because the the, the outlays and then the destruction, how are you gonna lower the price of healthcare when you're regularly shipping broken people, broken and wounded in body right. and spirit back from foreign conflicts. So the idea that this is really, really great to intimidate others on the world stage and so on. Again, that's only important if you think that America should be playing some kind of decisive and proactive role on the world stage. You know, I, I think do. it's time to stay home that's and fix problems at home.
1: Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think in order to make America great again, uh, you need to be uh, the leader of the free world. It doesn't mean you need to be the 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 world's you know policeman in every tiny little conflict, but the important ones, the big ones. Here's here's the thing that people don't really about Donald Trump, and this was reflected in the election. Donald Trump wins where it counts. Okay, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote in the United States. Why? Because she won California two to one. You can only get fifty five electoral votes. You, she could win California uh, twelve million to one and still only get fifty five electoral votes. Donald Trump won where it counted. He made this move on Syria because he decided, you know what, in my worldview and what I want, this move matters. This gives me leverage. This gives me a chance to be a bold leader in front of the world for the first time on the national stage, the first crisis that Donald Trump ever, ever faced. And he faced it boldly, decisively, and he did a good job at it. So I think that that is part of his larger, bigger plan. Uh, Do I think that we need to be the policeman of the world? No. Do I think we need to be the symbolic leader of the free world? One of the things that I said on Twitter that's been very popular is I came up with a word called called setism, hashtag setism. And the whole idea is that because of Donald Trump's boldness and his decisiveness, he he causes other weak-kneed world leaders around the world to grow a set, to be be bold and be stronger as well. And I think that this move was a pure setism move. And I think that we're seeing around the world, we're seeing uh, more strength. And more standing up than we've seen before. So we'll see how this all plays out. I mean, I could be completely wrong. This could be a complete disaster, but I don't think so. I think it's going to work out for the best. And here's the thing, is that when it comes to stuff like this, a lot of it comes down to execution. You know, Like I said, in business, you have lots of great ideas that go by the wayside because the managers didn't know how the hell to do it. They didn't know how to execute. I believe Donald Trump, knows how to execute. I think this is gonna work out for the best. I think this is gonna make the world more powerful, more not more powerful, more peaceful. I think it's gonna be good for US domestic uh, policy because when people feel sure of our safety and uh, they feel sure of our trading partners, you know, a lot of our economy is trading with Europe, trading with other parts of the world, and they feel confident in that, it's all gonna be better. A strong America is a safer America. I believe that very strongly. And I believe that Donald Trump, through what he's done, has made us a stronger America. And
0: do you believe that all countries have the right to initiate military action against those who break international law?
1: Do I believe all countries...
0: Because, um, you know, let's say Assad did this terrible thing and it was a horrible thing. He killed his own people, although it's a civil war. Everyone's killing their own people. Good heavens. In the, in the in the American Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, quote, killed his own people. All civil wars result in the killing of your own people. I just, you know, this is just a piece of propaganda that's thrown, thrown up. Uh, not not by you, but you know, I just wanted to sort of make that point. So my question is, if we say, well, Donald Trump is justified in dropping bombs into Syria because... This leader did, did a bad thing, uh, broke the rules of law, whatever it is, right? My question is, is this a principle that applies to everyone? Is there, I mean, you know, it's a philosophy show. i got to get some principles out of this, right? It can't just be my team good, your team bad. That's not philosophy. That's like sports with with howitzers. So is there a principle that you would like to get behind, which is not particular? to Donald Trump, but is allowable for every political leader, that if there's a country anywhere in the world which does something egregious against its own people, that any and all countries are justified in launching military attacks in that country.
1: Here's the th- here's what I think. Here's the reality of the situation, world, real world. When it comes to powerful nations, I think powerful nations do whatever the hell they want till somebody stops them. I think that's the reality. You can have international laws. You can have all this other stuff. That's fine. It's nice to talk about, sit around the coffee table. Oh, so, talk. so, 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 Mike makes right it.
0: that that's your argument for the justification of the we. Uh, Trump has Mike
1: the makes, power to do it. Therefore, it's fine because Mike makes right. Mike, Mike makes. You know, I'm just telling. I'm not telling you the way it should be. I'm telling you the way it is. Okay, the way it is. Powerful nations do what they want until somebody can stop them. That is the reality, of the situation, and no, and nobody. Here's the amazing thing about this this thing in Syria is that uh, um, you know, um, Putin did nothing to stop. It. Putin knew this was going to happen. What an hour before it happened, did nothing to stop it. He knew hey, Dad, what was going to happen. You mean the Tomahawks? You know, the Tomahawks, or at least his army did, or, you know, they, they warned him that it was coming so that a bunch of Russian military personnel wouldn't be killed in the attack or Syrians, you know, for that what, matter. Sorry, but what did. do you think he should have done? What do you think he should have done? He should have launched fighters and shot the missiles down. Those don't go at the speed of light, you know. They're just rocket powered. He could have shot this down. He could have shot them down with assets that he had on the ground there. You okay, mean he, he, should have have, all- he
0: should have directly engaged American military power?
1: He's, right. He should have gone out into the middle of the, of the uh, ocean there and blown up our destroyers. He could have done all that. He didn't do anything.
0: Do you think, so, do wait, are you saying that if you were in Putin's shoes, you would have directly engaged the U.S. Navy and started World War Three? Sure,
1: because I know that the American would kick my ass in a war. No see here's the th- here's the thing is that Putin oh he should he
0: should do that though if he had the power he should do that.
1: if he had the power to do that I don't know that's a that's a hypothetical he doesn't have the power. Let's talk about realities as opposed to hypotheticals He doesn't have the power to do that. Here's the thing is that Amer- if America uh, were to invade Syria, this would make a tremendous uh, troop buildup around Syria before it took place. Russia would almost have to attack our troops to save any face at all. Then we'd have World War III. Does Putin want World War III? No, he doesn't. So what does he do to prevent that from happening? He reels Assad in, okay? And he makes Syria a safer place. Donald Trump does what I call micro-leverages. Okay, he creates relationships where people are leveraged against one another, and it all works together. I think that's what he's doing. He's creating micro leverages here. So this is my philosophy, is the way I think. You know, from being my friend for a long time, that I hold my positions very, and opinions very strongly. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't say. My joke is, you know, I don't say things, you know, to be popular on Twitter. They just end up that way. You know, I say a lot of things that are very unpopular at the moment, and a lot of people end up agreeing with them in the long term. So we'll see. But so, so, but
0: but by, because I remember a lot of Trump supporters and myself as well were very appalled when Hillary Clinton started threatening military action against Russia. And the idea that in order to do something in Syria that who knows how it's going to work or what's going to happen and who knows, like Trump is getting information from his intelligence sources, right, from the intelligence agencies around him those intelligence agencies are not unbiased there is as you know a military-industrial complex that likes yeah. war, that likes profit, that likes money. There are lots of soldiers who live for war and there are lots of generals who really enjoy the exercising uh, their, yeah. their muscles and and uh, weapons in war. So we know for sure that uh, intelligence agencies massage information and change information and put out misinformation, which we've seen happen countless times. And it's not just America. This is all over the world. That so There's a lot of propaganda and information. Nothing's unbiased. And so, you know, Trump is getting the information that he's getting from the, um, these, uh, these agencies and making his decisions accordingly. There is absolutely a rush to judgment. We don't even know. Let's say that these bombs uh, were loaded with chemical weapons. They took off from the airbase. They bombed. And, you know, there are indications, uh, as you've pointed out, that um, it, they didn't bomb buildings. They bombed uh, uh, roads, in which case they couldn't have been accidentally setting off chemical weapons or whatever. Let's say all of that happened. We still don't know if Assad ordered any of that. I mean, we know if you you remember, of course, the My Lai massacre that occurred in yep. Vietnam when um, troops went nuts and killed hundreds of Vietnamese, uh, raped and killed hundreds of Vietnamese uh, in, in a local village after being under fire for months. And they actually never directly engaged the enemy. They're just constant traps and booby traps. They were just they went nuts. And, of course, this was not ordered uh, from up front, uh, from up top. It was something that happened locally on the ground. We don't know. We don't know any of this stuff. We do know that ISIS has access to chemical weapons because there's a giant chemical weapons lab at a university in Mosul, which was occupied by ISIS for quite some time. But that's neither here nor there. So if your argument is that America should push to the brink of potential third world war in order to achieve something in Syria... I really think, I really think that should go through Congress. I really think, you know, when it comes to the possible continuation of life on this planet, I really do think that's not something that Donald Trump should be in charge of. I really think that should be up for a very, very vigorous debate uh, in in uh, Congress. And, you know, I can see other people having other cultures, other countries, other carbon-based life forms having significant desire to have input in that. And I don't think that there are many Americans who would say, yeah, I'm willing to put... A confrontation with Russia, with a nuclear-armed power, in order to do what in Syria? Well, there's a bad guy in Syria. Well, there are bad guys all over the world. Where on earth is that process going to stop?
1: I don't think. I don't think that's. I don't think that's what. I think what Donald Trump has done is make that far less likely to happen than it would have happened before. Now, you know. Wait, wait wait. Any- wait, wait!
0: Far more less likely for any.
1: Intervention with Russia.
0: See, it's different from Iraq. Russia was not in Iraq. Russia is in Syria. You go into Syria, you're going up against Russia. Much much more, much less likely, much less likely. Sorry, uh, I I was talking while you were talking. My apologies. What what is much less likely?
1: Because of this uh, hit on Syria, some sort of conflict with Russia, some sort of world war with Russia is far less likely than it was before. You know, I tell you what. No, 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 no.
0: No, Not being involved in Syria is means that your confrontation with Russia is far less likely dropping bombs into Syria and some of these tomahawks missed and who knows who they might have hit right and and if Russia had decided to shoot back that would have been direct confrontation with US military might so no getting involved in a proxy war or getting involved with arming people I mean for heaven's sakes just last year America bombed the wrong place and blew up a bunch of Russians I mean, this is what happens when you're in these kinds of theaters, when you're in this fog of war. If you don't want to have confrontation with Russia, which I'm, by the way, all for, why are you involved in Syria to begin with? It's a local problem that needs
1: to be dealt with and has actually been exacerbated by America being in there from the beginning. It's not It's not a local problem. See, this is, You and I are working from a completely different premise, so we're never going to agree on this. I don't believe that Syria is a local problem. And I think that here's the thing. So Assad, let's say Assad does this once, we do nothing, and Donald Trump condemns him, then does nothing. So he instantly becomes Obama-lite, Obama 2.0, because you know uh, it, he he makes threats and does nothing. Okay, so he's immediately Trump is automatically a weak leader on the world stage, which is obviously wonderful for America. Okay, so let's say that Assad gets away with this once. So he does it again, we do nothing again. Then let's say that maybe North Korea, you know, fires a missile and uh, hits a Japanese ship, you know, and then we do nothing again. At what point? do we step up? Why on know, earth? What Well, we hang on. Okay. The and
0: stop first the of all, as you know,
1: uh, Obama was
0: not a weak military leader on the world stage. Obama was the first U.S. president to be at war every single day of his presidency. Obama, I guess after nobly hanging his peace prize around his chicken neck, ended up dropping 100,000 bombs over the course of his presidency on mostly Muslim countries in the Middle East. So that is not weakness. And secondly, let's say heaven forbid, let's say that um, that uh, North Korea does fire a missile at a Japanese destroyer. Hey, you know what's, what's not happening? Is the U.S. being threatened? That's what's not happening. That's between Japan and North Korea. Every single yeah. time there's a conflict in the world, the idea that America needs to go and drag its blood and treasure and blow, it, blow up its young people, Japan has its own military budget. Japan has its own culture to defend, and they can do it
1: themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I, I disagree. I think America should be the uh, leader of the free world, and I think if we're not, the world will devolve into chaos. You know, the world looks to us for leadership, and to say that Obama was some sort of great military leader—I mean, Obama led from behind. You don't. The only way that you get anywhere from leading behind is backwards. Okay, Obama might have dropped a lot of bo- bombs, but he tended to drop the bombs when he had not acted for so long that he had to do something to cover his butt. Okay. Obama was not a great uh, leader. So no, no, anyway, I didn't say you know, he was a great. So I said he was. Uh, no, I said he was forceful. A
0: hundred thousand bombs. I didn't say he was great. And sorry, I just wanted to correct myself. Um, when no, no, um, I, America, so- when America bombed. Uh, when American forces bombed in Syria, uh, they blew up a bunch of Syrians, uh, not Russians. So I just wanted to to correct that. I uh, exactly. I got I got Isn't... my nationalities confused because it is a kind of tangled uh, thread in there. I just wanted to to put out the correction. A... So is it my understanding, Bill, that your principle is that when there's conflict between any two state agencies in the world, America needs to step in, uh, choose sides, commit forces, get involved, uh, anytime there's
1: conflict between two state
0: actors in the world?
1: If Trump thinks it is, yeah. You know why? I elected him for his judgment his instincts, and his leadership. And if Trump thinks it's a good idea, then it's a good idea. This is why I elected him. So Trump can't I, make mistakes. Can, he's in, say, he's okay, infallible. Okay, you're basically said, the Pope
0: here, right? I mean, so, so I can Trump gonna, can't, can't make
1: mistakes. I'm not going to question everything the man says. You know, Donald Trump does not have to call me and ask for a hall pass every time he wants to lead. You know, I elected him to lead. We are stuck with Donald Trump for four years. Here's what I understand. The people, you know, that and when I referred to a fake base and all this stuff, I was talking about people who said, I'm abandoning Trump over this. Okay. To me, this was fake base. These were never Trump supporters in the first place. People said, I fully abandoned Trump over this. I know you didn't. I know that uh, uh, um, Paul Joseph Watson initially said that he did, but then he walked that back. So, yeah, you guys aren't, but you just disagree with Trump on this. I understand that. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing with Trump. As a matter of fact, I think Trump loves when people disagree. It's like the whole thing with Romney. You know, he looked at Romney for Secretary of State. The base freaked out. He loves that input. He learns from that input. It's part of his strategy. So, yeah, you know, just because this is my opinion on this thing, you have your opinion on this thing. We're going to see how it turns out. But the die is already cast. You know, this is the move that Trump has made. And if Trump decides to make another move uh, in the on the world stage. I elect him to be president. I elect him to make those choices. He doesn't have to call me every time he wants to do no, one but, of those things. But Bill, it's you
0: you don't want to completely abandon your own independent thinking for the next four to eight years, right? I mean, Trump does need but that I, kind of feedback, just
1: as we all do. I agree with him. I agree with the things he's done so far. I think this, I see the strategic brilliance and everything he's done so far, even, even Ryan Care. okay? The thing in, in Syria, everything that's taking place so far, I see the strategic brilliance of it. I I'm a strategic thinker. I don't. Know, I'm not going to say I'm like Donald Trump. He's probably. He's way, way beyond me. His bank account would prove that. But I tend to think, see strategically the way he does. And to me, it's all been brilliant so far. He's playing long ball. He realizes this game is four quarters long. Okay, He's not going to try to win the game in the first quarter. He's setting the stage for the big victory. And one of the things we noticed in the primaries, in the general election, and even now, is that Donald Trump peaks at the right time. He peaks when it matters. A month before the general election, everybody's saying, there is no way this guy could possibly win. I was saying, he's absolutely going to win. There is no question whatsoever. And he won because he knows how to surge. He knows how to peak right at the end. He knows how to bring all the pieces together, how to take advantage of all those micro leverages right at the end. So, you know, Stephen, I have tremendous respect for you. You were friends. You know, we just disagree on this point and that's fine, you know, that's okay. I have, you know, one of my my best friend in the world, you should hear us argue, it's terrible. You know, but you know, uh, we disagree on this and we'll see how it turns out. But this, I think this was a bold move. I think it's going to be beneficial in the long run. You know, we'll see. I don't think we're headed towards World War III. I don't think we're going to ever invade Syria. I don't think we're ever going to really uh, get regime change in Syria. I think if there's regime change in Syria, it might be Russia. That does it. If they realize if Russia decides that Assad is no longer in their favor, they'll get rid of him in a second. And that's what Donald Trump is doing. He's making Russia realize that it is in Russia's best interest to work with Trump on this, and that's their long-term. That's to their long-term benefit, and that's what a great negotiator does. So it's just strange. I mean, you
0: have to understand the the strange bedfellows aspect of this, wherein um, wherein Trump is bombing somebody who was attacking. Isis right you you understand that to be to be Isis's yeah. air force in this uh, conflict is something that i think you know when you end up in these places where it's like well i'm i'm bombing the guy who's attacking the people i said i was going to attack you may be yeah. in a situation where there's no particularly great uh, outcome. So let, let me give you let me give you the last word. We'll let people, of course, um, uh, puzzle through what it is that we've talked about. I really really appreciate the conversation. Uh, I'll give you uh, the chance to put in your two cents. I'll put in my two cents, and then we'll uh, we'll call it a day.
1: Okay. Yeah. As far as Assad fighting ISIS, Assad isn't fighting ISIS to save um, the world from ISIS. Assad is fighting ISIS to save his own backside. Okay. Yeah. And this is one of the things that Trump has done by threatening regime change. He makes Assad worried about his own backside. And so Assad is gonna change his behavior, hopefully in our direction as a result of that. My question also about him fighting ISIS, just because there's a war in hell doesn't mean the devil is heaven's friend, okay? And just because Assad is fighting ISIS doesn't make him America's friend. He's not side, He's not fighting ISIS for us. He's fighting ISIS to save himself. So, you know, that this doesn't mean that he's a great guy all of a sudden. That's my oh, last so, so
0: Churchill should not have allied with Stalin in the second world war. Well, it worked, didn't it? Right. Even though Stalin was a mass-murdering psychopath who killed millions of his own people, the West allied with him in order to fight the evil of Nazism. Uh, So the fact that... And Churchill said this about... You know, when he said... When he was questioned about this alliance, he said, well, um, uh, if... uh, uh, if Hitler invaded hell, I'm sure I could find some good things to say about the devil. Uh, so the, allying yourself with bad guys is a long uh, and tradition within the West. And if you brought up the Second World War uh, without allying with Russia, it would have been pretty tough to to take down Hitler. Sorry, right. please finish your thought and then I'll, I'll go ahead.
1: I, that, was my, that was my thought. That was my thought, you know. And it's just we just, you know, we just agree to disagree. You know, I thought I think people were probably tuning into this show expecting to see some sort of, you know, name calling or fight or something like that. They don't realize that you and I have known one for a long time. And this is. You know, we're just having a debate here, a debate on the ideas. And that's good. I think it's good. We, we have different opinions, but that's, that's good. That's how this all works. We all work it out.
0: So my, my final thoughts is that um, the, the goal of uh, being the world's policeman has uh, caused a huge amount of problems in the world you can of course point to the occasional success and i would argue that they're often temporary but if you look at the involvement that the west has had in the middle east uh, in particular uh, over the past 70 plus years or maybe since the end of the second world war uh, there has been a slide into theocracy into dictatorships from several formerly oh. free Countries look at the pictures of of uh, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, and so on in the 1960s. The women weren't in burqas. They could go to schools. There was lots of positive stuff happening. But when the West begins to bomb and to control, and as we all know, with Iran, to to overturn legitimately elected. Um, leaders, you know, we can call them regimes and dictators and so on, but the reality is that Bashar al-Assad was, was elected and was working with moderates to reform the government when he received significant pushback until Western powers and other powers went in and started fighting this proxy war, which is very, very cruel to the local population. And so this intervention, there are arguments that millions and millions of people have been killed as a direct result of Western intervention in Third World and other countries uh, in, in the last 70 years and so on. It is a big big problem a big quagmire it does right. when america wades around waving its its weaponry all over the world other people tend to step back from the problem so you're you're only pretending to solve problems that otherwise would be solved by local people. And you could, of course, argue if America was in a flush of economic success, if it had all of this surplus, if it had full employment, if it had all these wonderful things going on, well, okay, maybe you can spend a little bit of treasure uh, playing guard with um, countries overseas. But given what has happened to America, particularly uh, over the past 20 years economically, the hollowing out of the middle class, massive numbers of people not even in the workforce, hundreds of thousands of vets uh, permanently disabled uh, by um, countless wars uh, and what to show for it. Iraq did not turn out to be better. Libya did not turn out to be better. Syria did not turn out to be better. This idea that you can walk around pointing guns at people and create paradise is not how things work. You need philosophers to make the world a better place. You need ideas to make the world a better place and you need a receptive audience to those ideas. That's how the West became great. The West did not become great because it was conquered by the Ottoman Empire. The West did not become great because it was conquered by um, all other nasty empires in history that you could imagine. The West came, became great because spontaneous intellectual movements arose from within the West and eventually overflowed and pushed aside dictatorships and monarchies in the West. It has to be something spontaneous that emerges from within the country. We can aid them with ideas. We can aid them with arguments. We can aid them with all of the hard-won and hard-fought separation of church and state free market limited government constitutions bills of rights all of this stuff has been invented and it was hard won by the west from the magna carta onwards from the roman empire onwards it was hard won by the west it has been developed it can be transferred but there needs to be receptivity on the part of the populations as a whole and while they're still enmeshed in particularly tricky ideologies that is not going to happen it's an intellectual movement that needs to happen not a military movement and america has more than enough problems to solve on its own hey if america is a paradise by the end of the first term. I'll be happy talking about foreign interventions in the second, but I think it might be premature. So thanks, everyone, so much for listening and for watching. I wanted to remind you that you can follow Bill on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Mitchell VII. You can check out yourvoiceradio.com. My name, again, is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. You can check out my website at freedomainradio.com. Or if you want to listen to podcasts at fdrpodcasts.com, follow me on Twitter. That's Stefan Molyneux. I'm not even going to bother spelling it. You can check it out in the description. And youtube.com forward slash free domain radio. Bill, thank you so much for your time.
1: You're welcome. Great to be here. Talk to you later.